If you love podcasting as much as I do, you may be considering starting your own. Starting a podcast has been one of the best decisions I have ever made, but getting started can feel overwhelming. Buzzsprout is the easiest and most professional way to start a podcast. Buzzsprout has helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcasts, including me. Buzzsprout will launch your show on all of the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, to name a few. You also get a podcast website, audio players that can be dropped into other websites, and stats of who is listening, and so much more. Buzzsprout also publishes blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube videos every week. They are great tools and have useful information from expert podcasters. To start your own podcast and get a $20 Amazon gift card, follow the link in our show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you and it supports my show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. Crime One and Chaos contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Chaos Kids, I'm Amber. And I'm Naomi, and this is Crime, Wine, and Chaos. What's funny about it is that whenever we do this little dance, it like it does not match the actual intro music of this of the No, it doesn't. It's real moody, real moody music. It's a really moody music. It is not bopping uh-huh. your chair music. <laughs> no, it's not. No. It's not. Wow. Hi, sister. Hello, sister. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Um, let's see. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted. I really wanted to share something interesting. What about you? Uh, Let's start with you. Maybe it'll jar a. What's going on? Jog my memory. You know. Well, you know, we're doing. We're recording a couple the same week, and uh, it is still my break from actual work and uh you know i'm just trying to get into some some visits with some of my people um Mm -hmm. finally got all the shopping done you know getting ready to do christmas with the family which you know we always do you know like three months after christmas because we can't (laughs) get it together to all be in the same place at the same time (sighs) in a timely manner we got it dialed in pretty well this year, though. Not New too Year's bad. Day. Not too bad. Not, not too bad. bad. Not too We've bad. We've definitely yeah. done it later than that. So we're not going all the way into the middle of January this time. Other than that, no. there's not a lot. There's not a lot going on. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not even really on the socials a lot right now. I'm kind of laying low and it's been good. Uh-huh. It's been good. So yeah, same. Me too. Well, what are you drinking? You know what? Thank you for asking. I, uh, for the second episode in a row, I am drinking water. You mm-hmm. know what? Stay hydrated. I'm trying to stay hydrated and uh, stay unintoxicated. <laughs> and, you don't got to tell me, you know, sister. You do not got to tell me. I'm taking that. I'm taking that uh, lifestyle for a spin this week. You know and what? Just kind of seeing how it goes. It's fine. It's fine. You don't have an actual it's, problem. Yeah. So, you know. No, I do don't. That. And you know, you can it, just try well, it on for a, a minute. <laughs> I can try it on. Yeah, I can dip back in later. And it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's rough on a weeknight with uh, getting up and you know, sure. I don't sleep well, I even know. one glass and then I don't sleep well, well you, you know, don't sleep so. well anyway. So you should no. Be we don't need to exacerbate it in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all um, right. Well, I well, think you're fuck. gonna tell me a crime story today. Um, yeah, this one is horrible. Great. Um, there's no other way to describe it. Love it. Um, actually, uh, 
it's kind of like your worst fucking nightmare. And oddly enough, that was the show that I watched to get this story, although I've heard of it before. It's called um, Your Worst it's Nightmare? Terrible. There is a show on ID called Your Worst Nightmare. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, Amber went straight there and said, give me something good. Because I yeah. want to make yeah. Naomi cry again. Well... Yeah, I don't want to make you cry. No, I, you do. I no, do. you do. No, clearly I you do. do because it happens all the time. <laughs> you do know that I like to. I mean, you've you've come you've come a long way, but you do know that I like to also regularly encourage you to lock your doors. So it'll be more on par look, with that. Look, I I mm. have three cameras outside of my house leading up to my door. I have a a a bolt that locks itself automatically every time you close the door. So I don't even think about it I anymore. Know. My door is always locked 100% of the time. I know. I know. I, I love that. I have it, come it a makes... long way because some of yeah. your listeners might be horrified to know that I lived for years and years and years without ever locking a door. <laughs> uh, it's true. <laughs> It's true. I, oh my I think god! It gave Amber like it just added insomnia. Her, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's all, all right. right. Well, let's let's uh, let's dig in on this horrible worst nightmare. Okay, I'm going to tell you about Cassie Joe Stoddart. We are going to Pocatello, Idaho. It is September 22nd, 2006. Okay. So 16-year-old Cassie grew up in Pocatello. She was well-liked. She was a really good student. Cassie's sister, Christy, says that she was highly motivated and really driven. One of her current goals was to buy her own car. So she agrees to house-sit for her aunt and uncle while they are out of town for the weekend to earn a little extra cash. Oh, no. I think I know this story, and I cannot. Okay. Are you going to be able to listen to it? Yep. You do know this story? I think so. Okay. All right. All right. Also, as an aside, the whole concept of house sitting to me is so fucking weird. Not in this case, because she's 16. But in general, like if there's no pets, like one, why does your house need to be watched? And two, why am I leaving my house empty to watch your house? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what? Why do you need a fucking house sitter? Like swing by and grab the mail. But why do you need to stay there? I don't know. I don't okay. know. Well, it perplexes me. Okay, so um, her aunt and uncle were going to be due back at noon on Sunday. So her mom drops Cassie off at the house Friday after school. It's only about 15 minutes away from her her home, but it's a big house in an area called Whispering Cliffs, which is a remote part of the county. Um, it's a pretty big old house, and it feels pretty empty and quiet. And it's an older house, so like the floors squeak and you know what I mean? Yeah. But she really liked the idea of earning extra money and the chance to demonstrate that she was responsible. Mm-hmm. Later on that Friday, Cassie's boyfriend, Matthew, comes by and they had been dating for a few months and Cassie's mom knew Matt well and she really liked him. He was good to Cassie. She felt comfortable with him. Matt's mom dropped him off so that the two could watch movies and hang out. And she was going to pick him back up at 11 p.m. Yep. You do know this story. I and do you're know upset. this story. Yep, I am. It's fine. I'm sorry. Okay. So Matt asked his mom if he could stay overnight. And she was like, uh, absolutely not. No. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, they were alone for hours in this house. But like staying the night is a bad idea. 
Oh, yeah. They've already done the thing. Right. No, all the, the yeah. sex has been had. <laughs> or whatever it is that they're doing at that point, if they're not yet right. having sex, like all of the bases that they were going to land on have have been have been hit. Like that, mm-hmm. yeah, yep, yep. I know. And I mean, we'll circle back to this one because, oh my god, yep. So around eight thirty, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick show up expecting to find a party. And these two were uh, two other dudes that went to school with Matt and Cassie, and they were all friends, just sort of average kids, right? They were expecting to find a party? Well, that's what they said. Oh, okay. But they show up because Matt told them that Cassie was house-sitting. And Cassie was pretty pissed, and she told Matt, like, nobody else was supposed to be here. She promised her aunt and uncle that she wouldn't have anyone over. She's trying to be responsible. Yeah, they knew that Matt was going to be there. They said yes, that's okay, but no one else mm-hmm. had been like pre-approved by her aunt and uncle. No, yeah. But also, Matt's a sixteen-year-old boy, and like, oh, sweet, we've got this house, house in the woods to ourselves. No parents mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. So the four decide to watch a movie and just hang out. They choose a horror movie, but Tori and Brian are bored. So they leave the house at around 930 and they say that they're going to see the new Slayer movie in theaters. Slayer movie? Slayer 4. I don't even. Okay. I don't fucking know. I don't even know. I've never even heard of it. No, I don't either. I'm so old. So Matt, I'm, I know. I'm sorry. Me too, sister. No, don't be sorry. Matt and Cassie pop popcorn and keep watching their movie when suddenly the power goes out. They can see that the power is still on outside, so they figure it must be a breaker in the house. Mm-hmm. So Matt goes down to the basement with a flashlight to check the fuse box. But just as he is making his way downstairs, the power comes back on. And they're like, okay, weird. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The movie ends and Matt's mom comes to get him. And Cassie is freaked out at the idea of staying there alone, especially since the power had gone out. So Matt asks his mom again if it would be okay if he stayed. But she says, absolutely not. But Cassie can go with them and stay on their couch if she would like. Uh, I mean, at that point, she should just, she could just go home. Right. I know. I know. And Cassie's like, I can't do that because I promised my aunt and uncle that I would be here for the entire weekend. So Cassie's like, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. The, the lights going out was probably nothing, whatever. So Matt leaves. Yep. Ugh, God. Yep. So Cassie eventually falls asleep uh, watching TV, but she is woken up when the TV goes off because the power has gone off again. <laughs> and this time it's like going off and on and off and on and off and on. And then eventually it goes off and stays off. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the house phone, but the phone lines have been cut. <laughs> I I know. So now she suspects that someone is in the house, and she's trying to feel her way around in the dark in a space that she isn't familiar with. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. So... Here's where all the trigger warnings come in. So we're going to cut to Sunday around noon. Her aunt and uncle get home along with their daughter, who is Cassie's cousin, Kelsey. And Kelsey is the first one to enter the home. She goes inside and she's hollering for Cassie and she doesn't get a response. And she goes into the living room and she sees Cassie on the floor. And she has been stabbed to death. 
So detectives from the Idaho State Police are assigned to the case, and there are blood trails all over the house. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And it also looks like she has been deceased for more than a day. Mm-hmm. There are no witnesses, and nobody heard anything, and the closest neighbor is a half a mile away. Yeah. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Yeah. The scene was extremely violent. Cassie had been stabbed multiple times. And because it was such a personal attack, the first person they talked to is Cassie's boyfriend, Matthew Young. Well, yeah. Yeah. Detectives go to Matthew's house and ask him about the evening with Cassie. And he tells detectives that when he left, Cassie was scared. And he told them about the lights going out. And when they ask if anyone else was there that night, he fesses up and tells them about Tori and Brian Mm -hmm. and says that they were only there for a short while. And then they left. Yeah. Yeah. They left, quote unquote. Um, Yep. So then they go to talk to Tori and Brian, and they both said that they were there for what they thought was a party, but there was no party. So they left to see a movie. Uh, Nothing from the house had been taken. So it wasn't, you know, robbery motivated. So detectives have no real leads. So they go back to Matt. um, And his story is pretty consistent, but they give him a polygraph test and he passed. Mm -hmm. I mean, for what that's worth. I know. I'm always I mean, like, what? It okay? Yeah, it's, it's pseudoscience it's at this point. I don't even. Okay, it's yeah, it is. It's melted plastic with glitter. Exactly. It is. A, it's the tiddlywinks <laughs> of investigative <laughs> trinkets. Okay. He takes a tiddlywink. He passes. We're good. Uh, yeah. So they then go back to Tori and Brian. <clears throat> And the detectives asked them what movie they went to see, and they both said Slayer 4. Uh-huh. Detectives ask, who's in the movie? What's the plot? And they couldn't answer it. Mm-hmm. Brian and Tori are both self-proclaimed movie experts, and it seemed very odd to the detectives that neither of them could give them any information at all about this movie. Maybe they were just really, really high. Maybe. So they go to the theater and they talk to the employee who was working at the counter that night and they show the employee pictures of Tori and Brian and she goes, Oh, that's Tori and Brian. I, go <laughs> I to know school. those guys. I go to school with them. Yeah. 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 And she's like, No, I was taking the tickets that night. Neither of them were here. They were not here. I would remember if they were here, I would have talked to them. Yeah, that's that's Tori and Brian. I know those guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now the detectives know for sure that they're lying about going to the movies, but they still think that maybe they were off doing something else that they weren't supposed to be doing because sure. they're teenagers. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Hoodlums, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hooligans, shenanigans. Hooligans, shenanigans. Yeah. Mischief. Yes. So five days after the murder, Brian shows up at the police station to take his polygraph. And when he shows up, he's crying. Oh. Hmm. What's wrong? The police ask him. Well, they ask him. Yeah. Um, is there something wrong? you want to talk about? <laughs> what's wrong? Something you, want to, something you want to tell us? Mm-hmm. Well, he says that um, him and Tori left Cassie's aunt's house and they both went back. Uh, but they decided to both go back and they got in through a back door that was unlocked. And they said that it was supposed to just be a prank. What was supposed to be a prank? What was supposed to be a prank, Ryan? They just wanted to scare her. Uh-huh. They were turning the lights off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he thought it was just a prank, but Tori just went crazy. 
and said that they had to kill her. He said that the next thing he knows, he sees a knife and Tori's arm is going up and down in the dark while Cassie is screaming. He then said that Tori told him that he needs to help him finish. So he did. I'm getting murder and Mont Mont Vernon vibes here. Yep. Yeah. Teenagers and in a big old house. Teenage boys, and- knives, turning out the lights. One of them's mm-hmm. the psycho one. The other one gets in on it anyway. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, it wasn't his idea. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that turns out to be bullshit right. anyway. So, of course. Uh huh. So he uh, says that <clears throat> uh, the two then gather up the evidence and bury it near the property. So detectives take Brian to the location uh, where they buried the evidence and they find knives, Halloween masks, and a VHS tape. I'm sorry, a VHS tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They ask Brian what is on the tape because he had never mentioned that they were filming. Um, but it turns out they were filming on their way to the house and Tori is laughing and bragging about how they're about to do their first kill. And Brian says on the tape, quote, I'm horny just thinking about it. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't film the murder. There is footage of them earlier that day at school talking about how they have their first kill tonight. They even say, I'm sorry, Cassie's family. Uh, Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they waited until once they knew Matt was gone and that Cassie was in the house by herself and started fucking with the power. And uh, Cassie was attempting to hide upstairs in the dark when she was attacked. So after the murder, as they're leaving in their car, they started filming again. And on the tape in the car ride back, Brian is saying, we just killed Cassie. We just left the house. This is not a prank. I stabbed her in her throat. I just killed Cassie. Yeah, so Brian trying to say that it was all Tori uh, didn't match up with what was on the tape because right. both of them were fucking like bragging and high. Why do the psychopaths right? always find each other? I don't know. And in this tiny town, ta- again, in this tiny town, why are there two psychopaths willing to murder in the same grade in the same school? Like, how I don't is know. that? What is that? I don't know. And their friend. Yes. Like she was there. Just no fucking re. Oh my God. So they were both charged with first degree murder. And at trial, both of their stories were identical where both of them said that they thought they were just making a movie. And it was the other one that like took it too far. Okay. So uh-huh. at the end of the day, it was every man, every almost man for himself. How old were these kids? 17. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, 16, 17. Um, they were both convicted and sentenced to life in prison for first degree murder. And Cassie was their victim for no reason other than opportunity because they knew she was house sitting in a remote area by herself. Yeah. Yeah. They were just uh, taking advantage of an opportunity. Yep. Yeah. I have heard the story before. Uh-huh. I think more than once I've heard some deep dives. It's like the pathology is insane. Like they are, they were, they weren't just movie buffs. They were like obsessed with movies mm-hmm. and they wanted to 
do their own slasher film essentially like they mm-hmm. wanted to mm-hmm. they were they they were like inspired by scream I don't yeah I think one of the masks was the scream mask I think so too yeah and I just I, I mean I have several thoughts one I can't even imagine how Matthew's mom felt after that I yeah you know yeah I do know I mean, fuck. And also, even if all they were going to do was scare her, that's fucked up. It's so fucked up. That's so scary. That's not funny. No, it's not. Most pranks aren't funny. No. God, that just sounds so fucking terrifying. Yeah. And here's the thing. I would much rather my kid was safe and having sex and maybe got pregnant (laughs) or something than was like, you know, brutally stabbed to death. Because yeah. they were alone. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. You I know. know. I if know. We're weighing it. If we're weighing it on a scale, you know? I know. I do know. <clears throat> oh, yep. God. It's so it's so fucking spooky. Everything about it is so spooky. Yeah. And you know, it just oh man. It, the the teenage boy sociopath like team up thing is like mm-hmm. one of the like that that like chills me to the bone. It, me too. Me too. I can't. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Sister, well. I'm sorry. No, no, it's No, thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for the horrible mm-hmm. story. Poor Cassie. You're welcome. And her, oh, man, her family. And her cousin <sighs> had to find her. Like, her cousin was younger than her, I think. Yeah. Like a, yeah, te- like a young teenager or something. Oh, it's just, yeah. I can't. I cannot. Yeah. Okay. Fucking spooky. Well, All sister, right. let me let me let me tell you a chaotic story that doesn't involve any major bummers. How's that? Okay, good. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Have you ever heard of the Erie Canal Soda Pop Festival? <laughs> no. Okay, great. You know what? I had not either. Uh Sweet Baby Jake gets the credit for drawing Jeez. my attention <laughs> to this story. Uh, loyal listeners know how much we love a chaotic festival here at Crime Wine and yeah. Chaos. Uh huh. <laughs> and the Erie Canal Soda Pop Festival fits right in. In fact, it's been dubbed the worst music festival of all time. Oh shit! So it's also referred to as uh, the Bull Island Rock Festival or Bull Island B U L L. Um, and this mm-hmm. is like. Fire Festival meets Woodstock 99, but decades before either of those things happened. Oh, all right. Okay, so let me tell you about it. You can decide if it deserves the honor of worst music festival of all time. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's August 1972, and the era of the music festival was, you know, in bloom, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Woodstock was three years prior. You had, uh, you know, uh, Monterey Pop, all that, Altamont. You know, there were there were other festivals that were big, and many people saw the musical phenomenon, like strictly the musical phenomenon that was Woodstock. And they were chasing that level of notoriety. Right. Um, The profession of festival promoter wasn't yet a whole thing, but it sure was trying to be, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. So enter Tom Duncan and Bob Alexander. 
Tom and Bob were definitely set on making a career at profiting off music festivals. Earlier that summer, they had pulled off a one-day event, the Boss Field Freedom Festival and Ice Cream Social, that included Ike and Tina Turner. Whoa. Okay. Well, it was mostly a success except for some attendees scuffling with the local police department and there was damage done to the town's beloved historic baseball field. This event took place in Evansville, Indiana, and Tom and Bob were feeling pretty confident in their abilities and they wanted to try again. But bigger, of course, they wanted to do something even more epic than Woodstock and bring that hippy-dippy festival scene to the Midwest. They started making plans for a Labor Day event just outside of Evansville at the Chandler Raceway. But Hmm. they very soon ran into a series of obstacles. For starters, the mayor of Evansville was not a fan of their successful one-day event and wanted to make sure no more festivals happened in his town. Oh, Mm. okay. What a fucking buzzkill. Well, I mean, it's 1972. There's a lot of buzzkills out there at this time. (laughs) Okay. This was really a problem for Tom and Bob because they had already announced the festival and its location. Contracts were signed. Bands were booked. The Allman Brothers, Fleetwood Mac, and Rod Stewart were all on the lineup. Wow. And they took out a full-page ad in Rolling Stone. Shit. Uh, This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Even though the raceway was well outside Evansville city limits, the mayor must have made some calls because the county officials had heard all about the ice cream social and the plans for this multi-day event, and they said, nope. So even though Chandler Raceway was private land, they filed a lawsuit to prevent the festival from happening there. Security, sanitation, and traffic concerns would be the basis of the injunction that the courts would grant the county. Bob and Tom just rolled with it. It was half expected, really. Tom told a local paper, quote, you don't have a festival without an injunction. Ah. Okay. And great. Yeah. In fact, (laughs) promotion was still happening despite Bob and Tom not having a location for it. A Chicago radio station, WLS, was announcing it basically nonstop, and their signal had a reach of, well, basically half the U.S. Oh, shit. So this only helped the domino effect of more obstacles. Now everyone knew about this thing. And that meant all the squares in the counties adjacent filed preemptive injunctions to keep the hippie fest out of their backyards. Oh, God. Okay. Altogether, Fuck. the five counties that make up the southwest corner of Indiana had all made it illegal for Tom and Bob to put on their festival. Uh-oh. Bob and Tom were not deterred. I mean... They couldn't stop now. Bob told a local paper, quote, we weren't sleeping at night. We thought everything was going to just go down the drain, but we'd spent over $700,000. So our position was that we had to do this festival some way. Come hell or high water, the people were going to have an event, end quote. Side note, 700000 in 1972 is equal to the purchasing power in 2022 of just about $5 million. Okay, I was just going to ask that because you said 700000 and I was like, holy fuck, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah, There's almost- a lot riding on this. Yes. 
And then they found this bit of land locally referred to as Bull Island. It's shaped a bit like the connector part of a puzzle piece sticking out of the state line between Illinois and Indiana. And technically it was Illinois, not Indiana. So it's like this little bloop, this little bloop sticking out of the (laughs) state line of Illinois into Indiana. And so, but surrounded on all sides by water. So like the state line mostly runs along the Wabash River, which goes north and south. And, but then of the bloop on the west. And so that's like where the west end of it, right? Uh, And then Mm -hmm. the rest of it, it, it looks like small creeks and tributaries kind of curving around all the rest of it. Um, and while it was Illinois territory, the only road that could really access it came from Indiana. So none of the Indiana injunctions applied here. And Illinois <laughs> officials couldn't really easily access the island. So it was. Oh my God. They found this perfect little spot where it's like, not touching, not touching, not touching. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly right. And not only that. But Tom and Bob decided to give themselves even more breathing room from the fun police by keeping this new location under wraps. If they waited long enough to announce the new location, no one would have time to file any more injunctions to prevent them from putting on their epic festival. Ha, clever. Less than a week before the festival is set to begin and the festival goers are already pouring into the area, you know, like they do. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Pre-funk. pre-funk. A lot of them are headed to Chandler Raceway or thereabouts since the change of venue had yet to be announced. Others are in nearby towns, camping out in parks. I mean, it's 1972. <laughs> Woodstock was three years ago, right? Like, you understand what's going on right now, right? <laughs> Like the entire counterculture youth has shown up in like southwestern Indiana right now. Like uh, yeah. Days before the event is even supposed to start. They got nothing better to do. <laughs> so the masses are arriving in southwest Indiana and they, they're not really sure where to go. And all the county officials in that area are really beginning to get nervous. Like, you know, if this event doesn't happen, but all these fucking weirdos descend on our towns like what are we gonna do right yeah bob and tom waited until friday morning of labor day weekend basically the first day of the festival to finally announce the new location on bull island how are they announcing this there's not social media like how are they letting people on the radio radio? that radio station right oh shit i mean this is back in the day when like that's all we had and everybody listened to the radio all the time all right, all right. Right, okay. they knew WLS knew what was going on, so everybody was probably tuning into that station to get their updates, right? Yeah, all right, okay. So the people started pouring in, and you know how this part goes, right? Tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people are clogging the roads, they're leaving their cars on the shoulders, and in some cases, <laughs> right on the freeway, and they're walking the rest of the way. Traffic was reported to be backed up 20 or 30 miles and there's one road in onto the island that had been built like a week before. And it's just a dirt road. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my 
God. I am getting Firefest vibes from uh-huh. this. So mm-hmm. all these people are pouring in and they're excited and they're just happy to be there. They can't wait for these amazing acts that are going to play that weekend. They're setting up their camps, totally overlooking the limited water stations, bathrooms, and the fact that there is yet to be any music coming from the stage since the crew was still putting it together at that point. Oh, fuck. Yep. Many of them took a stroll down Alice in Wonderland Lane, which was just a bunch of tents set up next to each other where a bunch of the drugs were being peddled from. Sure. Every kind of drug Mm -hmm. you can imagine just sold out in the open with no attempts to keep it undercover. I mean, there was almost no police at this event, maybe three Illinois sheriffs and definitely no security or crowd control to speak of. Oh, no. God. So it's way more people than Bob and Tom had planned for. They were expecting like 55,000. But the number of people rolling in on Friday blew that number out of the water. And when all was said and done, all we have are estimates. But the estimates are of roughly 250,000 or more. Holy shit. That's way more. That's way more. Oh, God. That's way more. It's way Uh more. But it's all good right now. People are skinny dipping in the Wabash River, building campfires, and sitting around drinking boons. Sure. Seriously, boons is mentioned in the stories about this festival, like... Over and over and over again. It was a whole thing. Gross. You know, right? Okay, great. Sponsored by Boons. <laughs> Saturday morning, the music kicks off. Blues player Albert King opened the festival. Things are good for a minute. But by Sunday afternoon, the consequences of those earlier obstacles would come to pass. Only four or five of the water pumps worked. Leaving Ugh. lines the length of city blocks waiting their turn to fill up their canteens. And get water. Oh, God. In addition, Uh there was like six porta potties. Oh, for 200 plus thousand people? For roughly a quarter million people plus, yes. Sure, sure, Mm -hmm. sure, sure. Yeah. That sounds right. That sounds about right. Like one porta potty for every 50,000 people. Oh my God, Jesus. I worry about running out of the charcuterie board at a party with 20. I'm like, I can't even. (laughs) So everyone started doing their business in this swampy area. They all dubbed turd fields. (laughs) Was it that before? I don't think so. All right. So So they made turd fields. They made turd fields. Mm -hmm. It was a group decision. (laughs) See, Tom and Bob had about 400 bathroom facilities over at the Chandler Raceway. Oh, yeah. But the change in venue at the last minute meant they didn't have time to dismantle, move, and reset them on Bull Island. Fuck. But the show must go on? I guess. I mean... Except the two (sighs) biggest draws of the festival, okay? The big Mamma Jamma headliners... Joe Cocker and Black Sabbath, they hadn't shown up at the event. Are they over at the other the other one? Well, they arrived <laughs> in town, but when they saw there was way more than 50,000 people that Bob and Tom claimed would be there, they were like, yeah, we're going to need more money. Oh. And Bob and Tom were like, um, we don't have any money. <laughs> And Joe Cocker and Black Sabbath pieced out without playing. Oh, shit. That's going to piss off a crowd that size. Yep. 
So overall, Uh-oh. spirits were still high through Saturday night. Some other acts performed. The crowd chanted for Joe Cocker, who, of course, wasn't coming. But they were still having a good time. Booze and drugs helped, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, it rained that night. Uh-oh. There goes Turd Field. A lot. Uh-oh. And now the whole island is just a muddy mess. Oh, no. Water and restrooms weren't the only thing they didn't have enough of. There were only three doctors and 15 nurses on the island, and they were overwhelmed trying to care for kids on bad trips, poisoning, and overdoses. Oh, God, that's scary. A bunch of the acid was laced with strychnine. Bleach was sold as cocaine. They were literally making announcements over the PA, constantly warning attendees of specific drug dealers with bad shit. Oh, oh, guy over there in tent two is trying yep. to pass bleach as coke. That's right. Anyway, next up, That's we've right. got... Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. <laughs> this was a very different vibe from just three years prior at Woodstock. It was a harder crowd. Mm-hmm. So not enough water pumps, not enough bathrooms, not enough medical staff, and not enough food. A large portion of the crowd is very hungry on day three on Bull Island, and food was scarce. People Uh-oh. were getting hangry. <laughs> Uh huh. One group of attendees discovered. Okay, this is a trigger warning, specifically for my friend Christine, because she listens, and this is hard okay. for her. One group of sure. attendees discovered a cow still chilling on the island and decided to slaughter that cow. Oh shit! But they couldn't really cook it for some reason, so now there's just this dead cow mess left behind. Well, that was as far as their plan went. I don't know. They okay. they might have been oh. high. Yeah. Okay, there was great. one food vendor for the whole festival. <gasps> what? Reese Catering. What did Reese cater? They were running really low on food. I think they had hot dogs and burgers and things. Okay. So they decided the solution was to raise their prices. Oh, my God. Now we're getting Woodstock 99 vibes. They started yep. out with gradual hikes, but eventually they were charging $10 for a hamburger, which would be like charging $65 today. Jesus Christ. Let's capitalize on this unfortunate situation where people... I fucking hate everything. Where Can people are hungry and... Uh, I don't know. Did people start like mugging each other for cash so that they get a burger? Or no, did they, they decided to loot. Did the they ambush kitchen. the bur- oh, okay? Yeah, they decided to loot the catering mm-hmm. kitchen and they they just mm-hmm. stole whatever food they could find while the staff hid in the corner of the trailer. Wow! And this I just mean... started a series of mob rules activities. So a mm-hmm. trailer of beer was overtaken and looted. <laughs> A semi-trailer full of soda pop and cigarettes was commandeered next, and the looters threw the pop and smokes out to the crowd. Oh, that was nice of them. Mm-hmm. At least they shared. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, okay. bands are still playing at this point. Robbie, Sh- <laughs> Robbie Shankar played that day. He was at Woodstock. Mm. Robbie obviously loves a festival. 
apparently. Canned Heat, a few other bands. <clears throat> Some of the acts choppered in to play a set, then swiftly left. Cheech and Chong were helicoptered in, performed for 15 minutes in a deluge of rain, cut their set short, and got the fuck out. Surely sensing bad vibes everywhere caused by strychnine-laced acid. But the crowd is clamoring for Rod Stewart, who's like the main, main headlighter of the whole festival. I mean, Cheech and Chong is no Rod Stewart. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, no. So he and his band did arrive and they did what Joe Cocker and Black Sabbath did. He saw the scene and noped right the fuck out of there. Uh-oh. God, now they're going to be pissed. Fleetwood Mac, the Allman Brothers and the Doors all canceled as well. Uh-oh. So there's not a constant stream of musical performances at this three-day festival. There's these huge gaps in between where there's nothing happening. Oh, no. That, can, a crowd that size and they're hungry and thirsty and you've taken away the entertainment. Shit's going to go fucking wrong. Yep. The crowd is hungry, tired, wasted, frustrated, uh-huh. bored, restless. So some mm-hmm. of them entertain themselves by setting fire to the now abandoned catering trucks. And then people started looking for any wood they could find to add to the fire. And then the caterers, gas tanks, and tires exploded. Shit. And the crowd clapped and cheered and chanted, higher, higher. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. The fire lasted well into the night. Of course it did. This is uh, getting hard Woodstock 99 vibes 100%, from this. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So by Monday morning, a good portion of the crowd had accepted that the big names they came for would not be playing and people started leaving. Good. By the time the Doobie Brothers and the then unknown, the Eagles took the stage, less than half the crowd remained. That's still like over 100,000 people. <laughs> right. So those who uh, left already trekked back to their cars only for many of them to find their cars had been broken into or their tires had been stolen or their car itself was just gone. Mm. Every single car that parked along the expressway had been towed. Oh, shit. There was a group of diehards who stayed on Bull Island all day on Monday and overnight, determined to be there when Rod Stewart finally showed up. <laughs> He's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> Come Tuesday morning, it finally sank in for these holdouts that Rod Stewart wasn't coming. <laughs> no. And about a hundred of them stormed the stage, ripped apart the scaffolding, and set the entire wooden structure on fire. Oh, that's one approach. This also (laughs) set ablaze the mobile homes that had served as dressing rooms and a few trucks that had been parked backstage. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Later in the day, a bunch of state troopers combed the island for stragglers or overdose victims, finding none. There was okay. so much garbage left behind that the landowner didn't even bother trying to pick it up. He just bulldozed and buried it right where it was. <laughs> He's just like, fuck it. <laughs> oh, my God. There were two deaths that weekend. One young man drowned in the Wabash River, supposedly trying to avoid paying the entrance fee. And there was one overdose death. God, 
That's awful. Bob and Tom were also buried under a ton of lawsuits and fines from basically everyone. Uh-huh. The yep. owner of Bull Island, the vendors, the IRS, the state of Illinois, and the state of Indiana. They even got Shit. some jail time for failing to pay on one of them, but they were released once they proved they had zero dollars, partly because so many of the festival go- goers snuck into the event for free. Oh, my God. Zero dollars earned. <laughs> zero dollars earned. Cool. And so <sighs> that is the story of the Erie Canal Soda Pop <laughs> Festival, otherwise known as Bull Island Rock Festival. And wow. The worst festival of all time? Uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. That one wins. <laughs> that one wins. I wasn't prepared with like a trophy or something. I'll get something going. <laughs> Holy shit. That was real bad. Yeah. Thank you, sweet baby Jake. What are we? <laughs> what are we looking at? Where is he finding these? What are his Probably algorithms? Probably TikTok. He finds everything on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that's fucking next level. Mm-hmm. God, I love oh, that sister. Boy. I mean, look, I don't like to go to a well-planned festival. You know? Uh, no. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> No. Festival life is not for me. <laughs> no. I don't want to be anywhere overnight and oh no. Like oh god, no. that just fucking sounds terrible. No. Yeah, nope. Nope. No thanks. Wow. Mm. Yep, that's pretty fucking bad. Thank you for that. You're so welcome. Oh, I love that. Do you got anything else for the good of the order? I mean, you know, just the usual. Follow us on all the socials. Keep up with us. We're on the Facebook and the Instagram and the Twitters. And uh, you can send us uh, uh, suggestions, comments, uh, your own weird stories. I don't know. Send us whatever. Crimewineandchaos at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't know. Sometimes we have a good time over there. M-I-S-S-G-N-O-M-E-R-S. At misnomers, um, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Because I know you love us and you want us to keep going. <laughs> give us five stars. Yes, write us a review. Tell everybody why you listen to us because we're so fun. <laughs> it's true. I don't know it's if true. any of that's true. I just, I'm really. I mean, maybe it's like true. speak it into existence. You know. That's right. We're going to manifest those reviews. <laughs> Amber's in a band, Tinfoil Top Hat. Go check T- them out. TinfoilTopHat.com. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on mm-hmm. all the things. Mm-hmm. We're on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got that going. Check it out. Well, well sister. sister- <laughs> Fuck. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I fucking love you. I love you, too. And that was just so Motherfucking chaotic. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Crime, Wine, and Chaos. The podcast art was done by Joshua M. Davis. Music by Paul Abner. You can find us on Facebook at Crime, Wine, and Chaos, on Instagram at Crime, Wine, and Chaos Pod, or check out our website at crimewineandchaos.com. Cheers! Cheers!